Hey, welcome to the Mostly Skateboarding Podcast. I'm your host, Temple Elliott, and I'm joined this week by Mike Munzneider and Patrick Kagongo. This week, we're talking about people I've known and favorite spots. My new favorite Thrasher feature is People I've Known. It's a simple concept where a pro or industry head tells anecdotes about other pros and industry heads. Mike, what makes this such an entertaining piece of skate journalism? I think it works well because it's both a roast to the people that you're talking about, you being the, the subject of the people I know. In this case, I think it was Louis Barletta who really like came out the other day, and that's that's why this one's popping off tonight. So it's a good mix of like roast, and then you can also flex on just like, yeah, I've kicked it with this dude. Yeah, I've kicked it with so-and-so. And while like not a lot of these industry heads, Louis Barletta doesn't really need to flex on anybody. It, it all the you know he is skating the history being 57 and ripping that hard nobody actually knows how old he is he doesn't need to flex but i think it's just that good like you know you get to have fun with it and it's not about you and i think that we all have us all on this podcast have experience interviewing skaters and so if they don't have to talk about themselves like you're way better off so i think it's all of that what do you uh, yeah what, what you said it's your your new favorite thing, Templeton. Why does it hit you so hard? I I think like you said, it's the skater doesn't have to talk about themselves, so they're way more open. And yeah, I mean, you just kind of like we could just end the topic right here because you kind of nailed it when you said it's a roast and a flex. You know, like they get to right. talk about all the all the cool experiences that they've had and not have to feel like super vulnerable or weird or talking about themselves too much and. I feel like it helps us get to things that like an interview doesn't like the Louis Barletta one. He talks about how Tyrone Olson got a $6,000 check from Osiris and just, <laughs> he just tore it up because it was kibble to him. And you know, there, we know so little about money in skateboarding that to me, that's like a super important little tidbit. Like, okay, Tyrone Olson once got $6,000 from Osiris, but didn't think that that was a big deal. So that just like is in my memory now as like a, a tiny piece of information on that subject. Patrick, what do you think about this uh, people I've known? There's something about it. I think that the longer and the weirder a person's career has been, the stranger and more interesting their encounters with other skaters are, um, especially folks who were there during that period, like say 2000 to 2007, 2008, where there big was a money lot of time. big money time, like pretty much... Um, Pretty much from yeah from uh, yeah from uh, yeah yeah pretty much up until the 2008 recession where there was a lot of money in a lot of weird corners of skateboarding like I'm talking about people who are getting tech deck money mm-hmm. <laughs> and <laughs> and especially folks who have had long careers anybody who was able to survive the the 1990s you definitely want one of these from them because. It was cool to be a dick in the 90s. We've talked about this a couple times on the pod. And so you definitely know anyone who was a pro skater between, say, like 93 and 99 definitely had some awkward or maybe even some some wild encounters with other skaters. And so, yeah, it's like it's cool. And and like y'all said, like it's a roast or a flex. It's, it's a great way to get somebody to reflect. And um, one of the things I have to do for my day job is I conduct user interviews, right? And one of the things that really kind of gets people going is that, you know, you ask some warm-up questions to get them comfortable. And I think people like talking about themselves, 
but they love storytelling even more. And somebody who's a good storyteller has been saving all of these encounters for an occasion just like people I've known. Yeah, it's like these are all the stories that get told at parties or whatever, or like in the back of the van, like, you know, somebody brings up Tyrone Olsen and Louis like, oh, yeah, I, I was at Tyrone Olsen's house one time and, you know, this <laughs> happened or whatever. Like, yeah, it's great. And that's it's funny that um, <clears throat> it's funny. That was kind of like the concept of the original Mostly Skateboarding podcast is just like to get the get at those like little rad little stories. And it didn't quite work as a podcast, I feel like. But it, in this context, it's it's so good. I, I love it. I want to be a little bit of a magazine nerd and i just wonder these have to be interviews like audio recorded the person talking out loud like i can't imagine you get such a product from these dudes just writing it out what do you guys think oh hell no 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 this is something that has to be drawn out of somebody and especially when you're going deep into people's memories um, it doesn't hit the same when you're writing it down because you know you might have this tendency to self-edit or to kind of hold back when you're writing out the story. But when you are, if it's me and you, and we're either speaking in person, or we're doing a, um, it over the phone, or over Zoom, Skype, whatever, whatever, you know, they're gonna, gonna be, you know, I'm gonna be watching you for visual cues, or listening for, for audio cues, right. that are, you know, things that, where you might be like, oh, word? Okay, come on, come on, tell me, tell me, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think it's definitely, um, this is something that's coming from an actual, a proper interview, it's not coming from uh, an email exchange. Oh yeah, no doubt. So, so what jumped out to you guys? I mean, I've I've totally got my favorites. What jumped out to you, Temple Glen? I mean, the, like I said, the money story. Like, I'm so interested in money and skateboarding, and it's so <laughs> opaque that anytime any dollar figure is mentioned, I'm like, I'm like on it. So that that to me is like the the one that stands out the most to me. Uh, Patrick, what about you? There's two of them. So the first one is Mark Johnson. The quote. That man really knows how to throw a naked party. And it, it, there's a correlation between that and his part in, what is it, Seven Steps to Have in the Maple video from the 1990s, where right. I guess it's him covered in either whipped cream, shaving cream, or both, and just kind of wiggling around. And I'm like, okay, so this is, that was not an isolated incident. Like, this is, and someone who knows how to throw a naked party means, like, this is something that's gone down on a regular basis. And it, it's a hint. It's a tease. You're just like, well, what do, you, what do you mean naked party? I was like, nah, you, you had to have been there. And then the the other one is the Ali Bulala joint where he talks about Ali spending a whole bunch of money on a remote controlled airplane and destroying it. <laughs> that story made me laugh out loud. Like, I, I would be so mad if I was a team manager. I'd be like, come on, dog. I just like, I, you cashed out all of your per diem and like you bought that. Now you're going to be mad? Nah. <laughs> and and he's going to be bumming off everybody for the rest of the trip in order to eat. Exactly, exactly. I, I, I mean, I got we got to pause right there. Shout out to all the team managers. How do they do it? Because because Louis has spent some time as a, as a team manager, right? I believe so. Yeah. Okay, like yeah. team manager head honcho. Uh, you know, he he's doing something serious that enjoy. How do you manage people like this, right? Like, think about all these people and these people I've known have been in the van. How do you manage these personalities? Yeah, team manager seems like the worst job in skateboarding. <laughs> but could also, I'm, I could see people thinking it's with like the best job in skateboarding because you get to go on all the trips, skate all the spots, but you don't have to bust out. 
you just have to make sure the dudes show up fairly close to on time. Yeah, but like yeah. team manager, first up, last to go to bed. Yeah. That's not for me. I, I mean, I have, I've been on a trip, one trip, one true trip, and the story could maybe like dovetail with our next topic regarding Copenhagen, but like the TM is just always in the mix. And there's 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 no buffer, so yeah, I do feel for whomever that is. It's it's a heavy duty job. I'm gonna call up my own favorite story, and it's Mike Carroll, and it's at Fort Miley, and it's EMB days, and Louis Barletta's homie is clapping for a switch heel flip. <laughs> I just like I love this one because it's Mike Carroll at his just like shit eating best, you know top form as a skater and then just like the most shitty young cocky skater know why you're clapping because that's the best goddamn switch heel you've ever seen like it's perfection you're you're damn right (laughs) (laughs) and it's like fuck yeah thanks for blessing us dog yeah like you're right you're right mike carroll you're right like (laughs) respect i mean and it probably was yeah because it was like, what, it says around girl, when girl started, he was hyped on Mike Carroll. So it was like, what, 93, 94? That was like Carroll with... three, yeah, four. Yeah, yeah, that was Mike Carroll with perfect pants. That was like... Perfect everything. Perfect everything, but his pants at that at that era, oh my God. Good God. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so then here's the other thing, right? Like uh, Big Brother, didn't Big Brother used to do something somewhat similar where they, they kind of... In their in their quotes at the end of the magazine, except they were not presented in any sort of uh, sort of format. They were just kind of like little teasers. Yeah, the quotes were always good. Yeah, and Thrasher has that similar thing in the trash section. They're they're maybe a little too pithy, pithy. However you say that word, pithy. Yeah. Yeah. Shit, the Big Brother ones were those longer. Maybe it depended. Sometimes I, I guess I don't know. Like Big Brother's whole thing was that um, their interviews. Um, sometimes they were just so wild and like Thrasher hints at it, but I don't think they'll ever come close to Big Brother. I mean, also the guys at Big Brother had no idea what they were doing and they genuinely didn't care. Yeah. And it worked somehow, you know, it could have been, could have been a disaster. <laughs> sometimes it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. True. I think, I think there was definitely some people who regretted saying certain things. I mean, very obviously, I mean, there's a link at the bottom here to, uh, the, the infamous Corey Duffel interview. Um, a lot of ink has been spilled on that one, but, <laughs> you know, but he's a nice guy. Speaking of nice guys, who would you want to see uh, people I've known from in the future? Okay, so I kind of wouldn't want somebody nice. I would. It would be kind <laughs> of amazing to get somebody who has made a lot of enemies or had a nasty exit from the industry. So I'm thinking maybe like a... Ricky Oyola, Simon Woodstock, somebody like that, like somebody who, who's got either dirt or shit talking or just straight up complaining, just because it would just be interesting to see it written all down and just to see like, wow, this it was really this raw, huh? Um, by contrast, though, I also think it would be interesting to see people from certain places. So like Eli Morgan Gessner from Zoo York, because this is a New York City OG, graffiti head, skate head, who's been around for everything in hip-hop and in skating and in culture and in art so he's definitely been in the mix with a lot of people at every single level um fred gall i mean just like the little interviews of fred gall are great carl watson and jim tebow two of the nicest guys in skateboarding that'd be great too because you figure that nice guys often they have 
great stories and they've made good relationships with people. You would love to hear, you'd love to hear their side of it because you always hear people talking about how awesome they are, but you want to hear them, you, you know, you want to hear uh, their perspective on things. And then someone who I guess would be like, uh, would he be neutral good or neutral evil, uh, Steve Rocco? Yeah, I feel like Steve Rocco leans more to the evil side. He's a, a devious sure. character. <laughs> oh, and any filmer. Any, because like, that's where you, like, it, it's probably one of the, you share a lot of really close, intimate moments with skaters if you're their filmer or photographer. You've spent hours with them, same trick, watching them curse, you know, freak out, smash things. Like, it would be amazing if you got like a Socrates. They'd be like, yo, Sock, what was it like filming, you know, for World? in the 1990s what, what, what kind of chaos did y'all get into yeah I, th- I feel like filmers they're like seeing the skaters at their best and their worst jacob rosenberg that... would be a good one. Oh hell oh my god that'd be because he also has a, a legitimate um film and tv industry career so he's got a bunch of stuff like that would be just as interesting as his skate stuff oh yeah totally mike Definitely who's on your appreciate. list oh well i i would just i would i would put my criteria out there like it's obvious that all the people we've brought up or like the categories that we've brought up would work well. But I think, you know, when you see Barletta and then you look at the bottom of the Thrasher page and you got just going to, yeah, Mike Sinclair, Jerry Sue, Frank Gerwer, Duffel, Gary Roger, whatever, you know, there, there is like a certain need for an obs- up, uh, like a observational eye, maybe the ability to, you know, kind of bullshit a little bit, maybe, I guess I'm just like, would the nice guys really tell the best stories, and would the mean guys just be too mean? It's like it, it, it seems like a it <laughs> seems like a balancing act, I guess. So the one I wrote down was Tim Gavin because I'm sure he's he's that like cutting, maybe not that mean, but people like him. I think Timmy Gavin would have some good ones from the early '90s. The Gav would be great. He knows how to tell a story too. Yep. Yeah. I, you know what? Like. I just I got a random phone call from him this week, but Sam McGuire, a photo a photographer, but like definitely an observational guy, and he's got the weird way of like he puts people at ease, and they just I don't know he he has a way with people, so I think he could be really good. So um, Burnett, if you're listening, or whomever is actually pulling the strings at Thrasher, do we have a new shadow editor over there? Oh wait, is, is this is this breaking news? <laughs> No, I, I, I'm, I'm really just shooting from the hip on that one. <laughs> yeah, I think it's Burnett calling the shots these days. Michael Steven managing Ed, I think. I don't know. I feel like you're the one who's always looking at the masthead. Yeah, I mean, skaters don't care about bylines or mastheads, so. <laughs> what about the fact that all of these, at least for right now, they seem to be very dude heavy. And at some point, that's going to get repetitive. Um, it would be right. dope to see... Uh, female sponsored skaters in there telling us it's like Alyssa Steamer, I'm sure, has got a bunch oh, of stories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Alexa Sablone, mostly skateboarding favorite, would definitely have a good one. Mm-hmm. She's been around for a long time, seen a lot of shit. She's kind of lived through uh, different eras of female skateboarding and like different levels of acceptance. So I think that she'd, she'd have some tales to tell. Yeah. And and then also, the other thing is, how weird can you get with these stories? Because a lot of them, you know, it's like, it's pretty PG, PG PG-13. There's not too much in there that you're just like, whoa. Like, at what point do you just say, like, hey, this is a little too much? 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's got to be a good story that's going to make people, I don't know, feel good. Like, I, I don't think that anybody wants to read a, a story where the girl is like, oh, yeah, that, that like, beloved pro skater, yeah, he tried to, like, corner me under the ramp and, like, kiss me or something. Like, that's, that's just, like, not a fun story. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that's happened lots and that fucking sucks, but that's not, like, what people want to read about in this feature. Got it. Yeah, it it it's the roast. It's the roast and the flex. I think what what makes it so enjoyable is that maybe whoever is being spoken about is a little embarrassed about the situation or whatever is being brought up, but like it's all in good fun. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think there's definitely a level of like none of these people are chosen because they're going to be really that bummed out. Not not saying that anybody's doing anything with kid gloves on, but I think there is like a a good fun thrust to it so, all. So it's kind of like somebody with like uh, the right amount of self-awareness and self-deprecation um, and also a decent enough memory to be able to recount these stories. Right. Yeah. I wonder if any of these stories get left in the cutting room floor, you know, that's like, oh, you told a story about that guy. He's, you know, doesn't have a good sense of humor. He's not going to be happy about that. Or like, uh, like, you Is know, anybody really coming to fight anybody at Thrasher anymore? Like, is the industry like... I mean, in the 90s, that was definitely a thing. People busted into magazines and or, you know, getting into fights at contests and whatnot. <laughs> I thought we chilled out. <laughs> I, I don't know about now, but uh, back when I worked at the mag, I heard a story about a pro skater who was salty about something that was said about him in a piece. And the whole column got shut down because I guess it was just too much, too much of a hassle. Maybe he was not the, the first to complain, but dudes Is will complain. That, that little... Pushing buttons was that what it was called? Uh, that sounds right. What was no. it? it? Was like there was the news section, and then it was really revolutionary print action. Um, micro print within the margin on the bottom of the page. Is that what we're talking about? I don't remember the like form factor, but pushing buttons sounds right. And it was written by uh, the filmer. I think he was a filmer for Black Box, kind of like oh, a redheaded uh, dude. Mm-hmm. Lee. Lee Dupont. Yep. Yeah, I believe Lee Dupont yep. was yep. The, yep. Yep. the voice behind that one. So that made it into like thirty something issues of the magazine because by the time it got shut down, I remember like I asked Kevin Wilkins about it. Like, what happened to that? That that ruled. And yeah, yeah, that's funny. I mean, we we all should know by now that like skaters have very thin skin. There's there's not a lot of appetite. <laughs> There's not a lot of appetite for, like, much criticism. Oh, no. Oh, no. But then the question is, how much juice do you have to have in the game to get a column shut down or to get something pulled or to threaten, like, uh, our distribution is not going to run any ads with y'all if y'all run this? Yeah, I think it's a money thing, you know? Like, if you, if you got the money to, you know, cause financial pain to the mag, then you can get stuff shut down. I don't know. Does it... I guess... You know, I bring up, like, the 90s and the whole, like, it was cool to be a dick thing because, like, it really, really was. It was, like, a regular occurrence that there was arguments and there was fights and there were fights at contests and people had beef and crews had beef and it was just a thing. And, you know, Phelps famously or infamously banned people from Thrasher. And I just, I have a difficult time imagining that happen now without 
serious cause, like if somebody was accused of a very serious crime or some sort of violation of uh, another person, whether they're not they're inside the skate industry. But if it's like strictly something within skating, just like I don't like that person's style, I can't imagine that happening now. Maybe you won't run any photos of them, whatever. Maybe you don't run any ads, but you're not going to be like, they're banned for life. I don't want them anywhere. And <laughs> no sponsors, no nothing. I don't know. I, I could see it still happening. Maybe not at Thrasher. I mean, I think there's a lot of gatekeeping, you know, like, oh, this dude's style is whack. Like, we're not going to run any photos with him. Or like, you know, maybe even just like a photographer gets a, like, some dude said something to the photographer and the photographer's like, okay, I'm not going to shoot with this guy. And that's right. the Thrasher photographer in your town. So you don't end up in Thrasher. But I think it's soft. It's not like written, like Johnny Kickflip banned from the mag. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I, yeah, I don't really like Johnny Kickflip. So I'm not going to shoot with them. I don't think there's really that much, you know, in the 90s, it was cool to be a dick. I don't think anybody's disagreeing with that. And I think in the 2020s, uh, the the cohort of younger skaters that I think I interact with on the internet and see in passing on Instagram, there's not an appetite for being being a dick and it's not seen as cool. And I don't think that then, you know, having having the band list at Thrasher magazine, like there's no purpose for it because nobody, you know, nobody's gonna appreciate it, even though I think we'd all eat that shit up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The people that they're actually marketing towards and who they want as their audience sorry it's not us anymore it's like those younger people those younger skaters are um, probably into a lot more positivity and just don't don't really vibe like that no no actually related but unrelated have y'all ever been felt vibed or gotten vibed out of a store is that and i mean recently as proper adults with real responsibilities no only a bike shop only a bike shop. Fuck a bike shop. I hate those places. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it's biking. There is no exclusivity to it. <laughs> Wait, I mean, how do they vibe you like like bike shop? is a pretty like exclusive uh, club. But yeah, well, like fuck all that shit. Spandex and, and like the, the bike only weighs three grams. That's pretty exclusive. <laughs> it takes a lot you... of money to, to have a three gram bike, but... Um, tell Lance Armstrong I, to chill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, bike shops. I don't know. The people don't want to help you. I, I no longer go to the cool guy bike shops. I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I went into a skate shop recently, um, and I asked if they had any last resorts, and they didn't have any. Um, they had just run out of my size, and I was, I was like, all right, cool. I'll just go get a hat or something like that. And I was with my friend, and he was like, man, dude, he's like. I feel like he really took he really took pleasure in telling you that he didn't have the shoes. I was like, dog, I didn't even notice. Like, I do not care. Um, right. <laughs> I, I think like once you get past a certain age, you just have to remember like anybody like anybody who's really trying to step to you at their job, they've got bigger problems in their life. Like, <laughs> I'm not trying to come in here and, like be your friend. It's just like it's it's so weird. It used to be such a thing when you're younger, like whether at record stores or guitar shops, uh, or skate shops. And, it, and now, like, pushing on 40, I'm like, don't care. D- you know, it do- does not even, does not bother me in the least. Like, especially with record stores, having worked in a record store. Um, you, ca- you catch more flies with, you know, catch more flies with honey. So, I don't know. It, it just, it's, I thought, you know, it would be something that would bother me. 
and maybe I'd feel like I'm trying to, you know, police people who are working the shop, and then I was like, I don't care. You can be, not, you can, you can be however you want to be. I'm just here to buy this hat. Yeah, that's the confidence that comes with age. Well, and if you've worked in, I, I think record retails pretty close to skate retail and it's like all right yeah i know what's being what it's like being on the other side it's actually more fun not to be a dick and uh i think if my, my only hang up is that like i worked at familia for years and if there was one rule it was just like saying what's up to customers and so uh, yeah i'm pretty non-affected by just about anything but i do have the one rule is and it's that you know someone comes into your shop say what's up it's the golden rule. Because otherwise, you know, I just want to... <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I don't want to steal things. I don't want to steal things. <laughs> You're boosted from the local? Damn. <laughs> no, no, no. Hyperbole, Patrick. I want the Rob Welsh people I knew. I feel like he's... People I've known, excuse me. I think he'd be pretty good at that. Oh, hell yeah. Wait, does he does he smoke menthols still? I think he quit. Oh, okay. Because I know that there's this... Our... Oh, go on prominent i think all the prominent like well-known cigarette smoking skaters have become former cigarette smoking skaters is dan drahobel a non-smoker now pretty sure wow are That's you a big loss for the smoking community wow yeah he used to smoke reds right maybe probably hopefully i don't know i could never get into it <laughs> I, i'm super cheap and i'm just like all my friends who started smoking started smoking in junior high school so I don't know who can still afford it now. I mean, dog, it's like what twenty bucks a pack in New York. I have no idea what it is in California. I, I I bottled it the other day in Minnesota, ten bucks a pack. I thought it was more. I am a former smoker. I'm eight years quit, and yeah, it's it's pretty insane. And I've always just from the the like look of Dan Hobel's cigarettes, they look like camels to me. But that's neither here nor there. He's a camel dude. Yeah, I don't know. He, oh, he would be a good one. I think. That whole, like, thank San Francisco, Bay Area, like, them folk, I think it would be really cool. Oh, is there a Cardiel one yet? No, Cardiel would be good. He's seen some shit. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Damn, who's, who's up, in the, up in the vibe? Oh, with the sirens? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's over here. That, <laughs> that must be you. <laughs> it's getting live, man. They're coming for me. <laughs> I like it. Does anybody have any good anecdotes that they, of people they've known? Mike. So, you, you probably got some. I mean, I think I think I've told this one on the podcast before, and I'm pretty sure it got told on the Nine Club as well by Mikey Taylor. But this dovetails with the money thing. Uh, Sam McGuire already mentioned would be a good people I've known subject. He moved out to California in 2008, so I think the Great Recession had begun, but the checks were already flowing, like it hadn't hit skating yet. And Sam and I and like eight other dudes were staying at Mikey Taylor's house up in Thousand Oaks. And I have no idea why I was like, had my hand down inside this couch, like up in some upstairs room. But I pulled an $85,000 podium check out of the couch. And Taylor has told this story on the Nine Club. I was like, uh, dude, I found this check. And he was like, yeah, thanks. I was looking for that. Like, not even obsessing over it, like many other people might be. I am just, oh my god. As, as, as somebody who has gone through some waves of unemployment and been on right. the grind, like, 
That makes me... I'm furious. <laughs> I didn't mean to. <laughs> that makes me so... I was like, oh, I just lost an $85,000 check. I'm trying I'm, to make sure that this is like obviously almost 15 years on now since that happened. So I'm trying not to inflate the check. It was that or 65K, but it was no... Not a dollar less than $65,000. It was a skateboarding check with five figures dog you know yeah, i'm comfortable more, more now than, <laughs> and i'm you know, 9, still watching every thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars it was more than that. <sighs> yeah and that was probably a quarterly check you know based on that. my knowledge of podium checks did this dude not have Royal direct deposit <laughs> these are just getting I checks mailed to them? If podium did not have direct deposit yeah I, I doubt podium had deposit. direct deposit at, at least have- for contractors i think that Right. Uh, it's a, a different system. <clears throat> I guess so, but still, though, I mean, I don't know. I guess, you know, some people are built different. He's just chilling in Thousand Oaks and just being like, yeah, $85,000 check, just lost an upstairs couch. <laughs> well, he knows that they'll, you know, print another one if it doesn't get cashed soon enough. Which then I guess explains the Tyrone Olsen thing, him ripping up the check. That's a flex like that. I wish. I, I wish I was balling like that in my 20s. <laughs> Might not be here today, man. I feel like that kind of money can do crazy things to people. <laughs> Templeton, I mean, you must have you must have a, a people uh, I know story, a hot one for us. My best skate story is um, I was living with Steve Barra in uh, Studio City in a near empty house that he owned with Juliet Lewis. Juliet was living in a different house at the time, and. Um, <laughs> Steve was away doing something and Heath Kirchart called me and was like, hey, I want to go film. I'm going to come pick you up. I didn't have a car at the time. He, I was like, cool. Then I hear the fucking Harley thundering up the road and I'm like, oh shit. Like I'm going to have to ride on the back of the Harley. I figured, you know, he'd drive a car. So I hop on the back of the Harley. He hands me like a, um, one of those kind of like German helmet, German style helmets. It's got a spike on top. No, no spike on top, but same vibe. Okay, okay. And uh, yeah, strap, strap the helmet on, got my camera bag on, his board in between us, and I'm like holding on to, to Heath Kirchart, and he just looked back at me and he's like, whatever you do, don't turn, don't lean, just sit still. So we, we <laughs> fucking motorcycle it out to um, the Fabulous Frost School and like... I don't know, the valley somewhere. That's the one with the kinked handrail. And then there's also like a square rail off a stage. It's like a nine stair. Uh, we go out there and then we, he, we park and he's like, so what'd you think? I was like, that was the scariest thing I've ever done in my life. Uh, so we go to the rail. Some kid is trying actually the trick that he wanted to do, kickflip front 50. So we just left. Didn't even like try to do anything. On the way back, he takes the thing up to 100, splitting cars down the highway uh, there's like tears running down my face, like not from me crying, but just from the extreme wind. And, uh, we got home safely. And, uh, that was my story riding on the back of Heath Kirchhardt's motorcycle. Wow. So wait a minute. So you were in, the house was in studio city, right? Correct. Yeah. Down the street oh. from the Beastmaster. Okay. You know, that's not a terrible drive. I mean, like you went to like the far corner of the Valley, actually like well past it. Like, uh, my wife's aunt lives, uh, Probably not too far from that. It's Robert Frost Middle School, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. 
There you go. <laughs> you got one, Patrick? It was about seven years ago. I was at Cha Cha Lounge. And I had just met my now wife and was coming out to L.A. to visit her. Um, she's lived out here pretty much her entire life, except for a, a few years in San Francisco. And so we went to the Cha Cha Lounge, and there was like a whole bunch of us hanging out. And Jerry Sue was there. As I just rolled up on him, it was like, yo, Jerry Sue, what's popping? He's just like, hey, man, how you doing? I was like, let me buy you a drink. He's like, cool. I was like, yo, Jerry, I got a hard-hitting question for you. He's like, hit me. He's like, why should I move to L.A.? Like, I met this girl here. It's super lit. And I don't know. I'm living back east. And I don't know what to do. He's like, well, the thing I like about L.A. is that you can go 20 minutes in any direction and see something completely different. And I still use that quote to this day. Like, I, his vibe was so chill. And he was so friendly. I was just like, okay. If it's got a Jerry Sue stamp of approval, it can't be that bad. And I was like, the worst that happens is I never have to deal with another polar vortex winter again. And so here I am, seven years later. Right on. Yeah, I, I know. A little, a little wholesome, but um, I don't know. I don't think I have any. I don't have any. I don't have any stories with skaters that are too hot for TV. So I'm gonna. I I, I dredged up one more, and there's a little bit of a news hook because Village Psychic just did that Jerry Fowler watching Jar- Jerry Fowler with Jerry Fowler feature. I don't mm-hmm. know if you guys saw that, but they watched his uh, DNA continuum part. And so him and Joey Pepper and this dude Haven, who was a filmer, who I think went on to film a bunch of shit for like Felix Arguelles. Um, what was that brand that Felix was involved with? Strap something? Oh, Late famous. Thousand. Famous, famous Stars, Stars and Straps? Straps. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, that's who the filmer was. But uh, they came out, and Jerry Fowler explains it in that video that Village Psychic did. It was right after 9-11, so there were no flights. So those dudes drove from Boston out to Minneapolis, and they ended up staying. Uh, we had two skate houses. Uh, they knew my buddy Ryan, who'd, who'd moved out here from Boston a couple years prior. We had two skate houses on the same block next door to each other, and those dudes stayed at my friend's house next door to me I, I i lived in one house they were staying at the one next door we skate with them a bunch whatever we're all like 1920 and one night those dudes buy a, a, a suitcase a cores light and then leave it at the house and then they go out and what do us kids do we drink all the pro skaters beer like every last can of beer we we drink it and they show back up and they're like yo what happened what happened to all our beer and so they weren't that pissed off. They thought we were just dumb. You know, like in, in retrospect, we were 19, 20. Those dudes were like 24, 25, 26, whatever. Gets down to it. And I'm trying to, I don't know. Everybody's kind of getting rowdy. And I think they were annoyed with us. And at one point, for some reason, it's like, and this is a dude I, I look up to. So I don't even remember how this happened. But I'm like, hey, Jerry, let's wrestle. Okay. <laughs> we're in my neighbor's house. Jerry Fowler and I are both small people and, you know, we're like squaring up, gonna, gonna Greco Roman wrestle. And, um, we, we, we're going to do a three count, right? One, two, three, one, two, Jerry Fowler jumps the count, gets a shoulder under my chin and plows me into the wall. My back goes into the wall. I catch a, like a, like a corner of a supporting wall with the side of my head. There is a Mike sized Mike's back size indentation through the sheetrock and um they got a good laugh out of it and then my buddy neil kind of got into fisticuffs not fisticuffs necessarily but real wrestling with with the filmer and then those dudes drove home that night 
because it got a little too weird. Wait, they drove back to Boston. <laughs> they drove back to Boston. Are you serious? Yes. So y'all yeah, got, to- it got a little too weird, but uh, I should say, uh, you know, no bad blood on my end. Joey Pepper was at my house playing pool and like his, his friends were like, we got to go. We got to go. And he's like, what happened? <laughs> so what happened with the wall? Who, who patched it up? Uh, more trivia. Uh, Jeremy Reeves, Minnesota, longtime Minnesota ripper, former city skateboards pro, lived in that house before he moved out west, and um, he he patched up the wall. Oh wow! So it wasn't really that bad, but y'all really got to scrap in. Like, first of all, you drank all their beer. Yeah, I'm surprised that you just said like let's wrestle because it would have been like <laughs> wrestling. Now nah, we're, we're we're actually we're boxing and we're fighting in the front yard too. Yeah, that's like an invitation for a bloody nose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I pretty much got uh, as as like the uh, as an avatar for the whole crew. I got I got what we deserved for sure. <laughs> you really got this. I, I mean, <laughs> yo, he so, jumped the count though. He cheated. He jumped. Okay, true. He jumped the count, but you're lucky it was just wrestling because it legitimately <laughs> could have it could have been something else. Like with the wrong crew of pro skaters. First of all, oh my god. I would, but then again, they're 25, right? Like stealing people's beer at 21 is very different from stealing people's beer at 25. 25 is like, hopefully you can just be like, well, as long as there's no blue laws, wherever you are, you can just go buy some more beer. Here's the tricky thing though. Minnesota at the time, 8 p.m., at least in Minneapolis, 8 p.m. That's the tough. stores were closed. So there, there was no more beer to be had. I guess, but if they had gone out, like, come on, like, you can always go out tomorrow. But, like, I don't know, we could probably have a whole conversation about, <laughs> you know, when a bunch of, like, a bunch of skaters, regardless of sponsorship status, when they go out. Amazing story, Mike. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hopefully you can one. chop that up and make it a little bit more compelling. No, that was... Uh, <laughs> no, no edit, no edit from, needed. That was perfect. That was real. <laughs> Spencer from Village Psychic, when he was going to interview Jerry, he was like, Mike, talking to Jerry Fowler. Got anything you want me to ask him about? And I'm just like, yeah, man. Ask him about you, dick. <laughs> before we before we go on to the next topic, I know it needs to happen. You need to retell that story and have it animated, kind of like that series that Mike Judge does for Amazon uh, tour stories, and just have like a like an animated Jerry's just like in some baggy pants and a rhythm shirt, like looking at you and just being like, ah. <laughs> That would be amazing. Let it be known. That would be... Jump the count. Actually, yeah. That would actually... If you did that for skateboarding, if you had an animated series about stories, you know, of people I know, and if Thrasher did... Oh, my God. It would be so good. Vans did that for a little bit with um, the guy who animates Bob Burger, Bob's Burgers. Yeah, there's like the Dill one. It's like Jason Dill and um, Anthony Van England when they get locked up on 4th of July or something like that. I don't remember that one, but it sounds like on YouTube. familiar. <laughs> Actually, yeah, linked in the show notes for sure. Yeah, you definitely, you definitely could have a whole Jason Dill animated series. I would watch the shit out of it. <laughs> oh my god, that'd be amazing! <laughs> <laughs> it would be amazing on Adult Swim. Dude's already a, a cartoon character, basically. I know. <laughs> and, and like, there's that quote in Thrasher, just like, man, if there was, if if the va- vaccine could be snorted, I definitely would do it. I would definitely do lines of the vaccine. <laughs> What? <laughs> he really said that he was like if the vaccine could be snorted sign me up <laughs> but you know what that's great like jason dill shout out to you for getting vaccinated and, and keeping people safe shout out to you <laughs> yeah. 
like I said, like a whole animated series about the life and times of Jason Dill. Amazing. Yeah, that's Adult Swim. It's all uh, adult themes on that one. Ex- exactly. And man, that guy's got some adult stories. For sure. Uh, are we ready to move on? Yes, sir. Spots matter. They set the tone for the tricks that get performed there. Quarter Snacks talked to Hjalte Hallberg for their favorite spots feature, and it gave me a lot of nostalgic feels. Patrick, how did Hjalte Hjalmers make you feel? I really like the storytelling. I believe it's Pocket, which is uh, another magazine, did a video feature about Hjalte showing them around Copenhagen, and it looks like he's living an awesome life, and shout out to Scandinavian life. Um, right. And... I think the thing that was really relatable about the story was this kind of um, almost like Charlie Chaplin-esque back and forth with the maintenance crew at the building. You skate the spot on the week- evenings and weekends, and every Monday they come and they, you know, they power wash the wax and they clean everything up, and it's impossible to skate, but it's yours. It's something that really belongs to you, and I think that's what makes a favorite spot. It just so happens that his favorite spot was some perfect ledges, but it takes a while to... It takes a while to find that spot where you can really grow as a skater. Mine, um, as a teenager, was uh, the elementary school near my parents' house where I was the one who waxed up the curb, skated it pretty much every day after school. It was the warm-up spot. Lots of my friends would meet me there. I had friends who lived in the neighborhood. And, you know, I'm lucky. I'm privileged. I've gotten to travel a lot, you know, from a young age. And I've gotten to see and skate some awesome spots like uh, Place Messina, which is in was in Nice, France. It's... Um, since been redesigned and no longer exists. I got skate, obviously, South Street Seaport, Newport. Um, got to hit Pier 7 in 90-something. Carl Watson applauded me when I, I did a crooked grind on one of the ledges. That mm-hmm. Probably the best thing that ever happened to me in skateboarding. It's all been downhill since then. <laughs> but I think what Hialti is touching upon is that there's a lot of memories, like really, really formative memories that are attached to that spot where you really feel yourself developing as a skater. And he, he calls it out specifically because he says that it is not a starter spot. It is not a spot where younger yeah. kids skate. Like you actually have to have a little bit of power in you to be able to skate these ledges, A, because they're super, super rough, and also because they're a little taller than normal. But it's beautiful. I mean, like, what about y'all? Like, like Mike, like, do you have a spot like that? Or did you have a spot like that? Because I actually have a, another point to bring up, which is that spots come and go. And so it's, it's kind of weird when something where a spot like that still exists and you still get to skate it. Because more often than not, they either they fall apart or they're destroyed. Right, right. And yeah, before I get into like what you really asked me, I've actually been to Yarmers uh, like 10 years ago got to go on an Etnies trip overseas. And what he was saying about it not being a spot for beginners, like it wasn't the spot for my busted ass at the time. Like those ledges are high. If they're high for him, they're gigantic for me. And they're actually, he touched on it in the video, they're not laid out in a super useful way. You know, like I think there was a there was one point where you talked about how you either hit this one or that one or that one or this one. And then, you know, Alex Olsen really mixes it up. It's a weird spot. And I I do think that it's not necessarily always the best spots, i.e. like the perfect spots that make the best spots. You know, there's got to be character to them. There's got to be a lot of different factors that actually make them work. So my favorite spots, my first ever favorite spot was Hopkins High School. And it's actually where I went to high school. And it, it started out as like, three benches and a curb 
And um, I always thought I've, I never went to the Venice pit, but these were old school, like crumbly, but super grindy concrete ledges. And I always thought they looked like the pit in that, like, no matter how grooved out, no matter how chunky they got, they still, they, they almost worked better the chunkier they got. And there's like just big, large pebbles in there. They actually redid that spot right before I ended up going to high school there and put in a tall, like proper knee high, but super smooth kind of rounded ledge. And I mean, that's where we came up skating. So I always loved that. And then there's the University of Minnesota mall area, which just has a three stair granite benches around, but it's one of those, it's one of those spots where like the actual stuff you skate, isn't that great, but the vibe open grass, cool ass buildings around college girls walking around. Let's be real. Like these things factor in and it's like, yep, that spot rules. So I think those are my, my two main spots. Uh, Templeton. What's I think, <laughs> Oh, I think for me, my, like the spot that makes me feel kind of the way that Yalte feels about Yarmers is the field house at ODU, which is the uh, old dominion university, the college that I went to. And it was just, a bunch of benches, like super long benches, probably like 15 feet long benches and a five stair with like a pretty friendly handrail. And mm. we would just skate there every day, all the time. We'd get kicked out. You know, it's like the same fucking cop kicking the same kids out. And it was just just the fucking best spot. And I feel like thinking about it now, like I don't think we even appreciated how good the spot was. But it was just like yeah. a really fucking... Like, long concrete benches and a five stair with pretty chill handrail and then like around back there was an eight stair with a good handrail and it was like a handicap rail is just like just so many options Mm -hmm. and picking up on a school spot that was really really good that has been featured in some of actually quite a few of paul young's videos and actually has made into some bronze stuff as well because of that uh pearl river high school in rockland county First time I ever got to skate like a decent tennis court, actually got on a, a bench and then stopped skating benches for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also it was right near a 7-Eleven, so you could just go get a quick snack. And it was down the street from Luigi O'Grady's, which was an Irish-Italian deli, which was so ill. Best hoagies ever. Uh, wonderful spot. Um, actually, y'all, you, you, you bought up something that's really interesting, both of you. What is it about ledge spots that they seem to be more intimidating in real life than on video? Like, it could be South Street Seaport, where you could lose your board to the East River. It could be um, Republique in Paris, where there's always people sitting down, right? Or you could lose your board to traffic. Um, it could be Yarmers, where it's rougher than it actually appears. It could be, like, the Venice ledges, where it's just like, yo, you might get jacked. Like, what is it about ledge spots? The ledge skating is so dope, but ledge skating is a real challenge i think it's just like on video you see all the best tricks going down and you're like oh it looks easy you know like these these pros it's their job to make it look easy so we watch it and we're like that looks easy i'm gonna go there and i'm gonna do like this that and the third and then you get there and you're like oh shit uh yeah 50 50 or whatever you know like I, i can get my basics but um yeah i think it's just like that warped sense of self when you watch video you just think like everything just seems easier there was a clip today on vintage skate on instagram of fabian alomar doing a a nose blunt on a ledge at a school 
and it looked so buttery and so perfect and everyone's just like damn i wish that spot was still there <laughs> but i imagine it's that much harder i mean it was smooth but like, it seems that's like a recurring theme with ledge spots you know ledge is more difficult to skate than actually appears yeah you can't tell you can't tell how you you, you can never really tell how tall they are or you know whether or not that crack that you're not noticing in the footage makes it that much more difficult or you know just maybe if it doesn't actually grind and these skaters are that amazing incredible to make it happen i wonder about chafee how high were those blocks <laughs> we'll never actually know well certainly not now <laughs> right <laughs> i mean then like you i think you also have to ask the question you know when it comes to a classic spot, a feel-good spot. Is there such thing as an adult? Because one thing I found is that I've gotten way pickier. And there are some instances, I know that um, some of us don't, don't like skating skate parks, but I sometimes find it hard to, like, to pick a spot and be like, all right, we're going to go. Like LA High is right near me, and the brick banks have gotten rougher and rougher, rougher and rougher. Uh, there's been more chips, more pieces falling out. It's still a challenge to skate, but it's fun, but... You know, this part of me that feels like, you know, I spent an extra 15 minutes in the car, I can skate a decent park and then at least feel like I accomplished something. It wasn't a struggle. What do y'all think? Yeah, I feel like LA doesn't have a good, like, I mean, maybe Jaquan would be like a good, like, plaza chill, like, place where you can spend some time hanging and spend some time skating. But yeah, like, I lived in LA for a couple of years and there was never a spot like that. I mean, maybe like uh, the sand gaps at Venice. Right. Maybe, yeah. Like, but even Jaquan, like Jaquan now is a big Sunday spot, and they call it, you know, church Sunday service, and it's been mobbed with people, even during COVID times. Yeah, sure, people wear masks, whatever, whatever. But it's like you're taking, you're basically you're there to like, you know, fan out watching Stevie Williams and whichever pro, you know, decides to show up. They're like Henry Sanchez was there a couple of weeks ago. Um, yeah, that that's not the same. Like you feel like. What, am I going to get a 50-50 on this and then just go keep watching? Yeah, I can't get with the, like, mobbed-out spots. And that's, like, part of the reason why I hate skate parks is just there's always exactly other people there. Yeah, we we get down, well, not much this year because it's been an odd spring up here. But last summer, especially with the pandemic, you know, you could it was, it was free reign, essentially, in downtown Minneapolis. And I know... Um, we had a pretty high profile trial happening at the Hennepin County Government Center this spring. Derek Chauvin, who murdered George Floyd, they had it fenced off, though, and parts of it fenced off, I should say. And in the interest of maybe just the fact that skaters aren't, um, at least under circum certain circumstances, as much of a worry as protesters like that spot, which has amazing granite ledges of all different sorts and steps and just yeah lines lines like crazy you know that that spot was i think de facto legal while it was all fenced up and crazy you know the the one time i'd been down there this spring during that 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 setup it was uh it was deserted granted we were there at like 11 a.m still it always it always like kind of trips me out when i don't see people down there yeah, we, we prefer going downtown over over the skate park just because there's so much. And I think I still get a lot of satisfaction over like skating the, the more difficult spot where, you know, once once you get a couple tries on it, maybe maybe it has to be 10, which is a little bit more than a couple. You do get used to the imperfections and kind of get in that zone. So 
think I touched on what you brought up, Patrick. Yeah. I mean, then here's the other thing. Like, there is downtown LA. There's downtown Long Beach. It's not the same as going and pushing through, say, San Francisco or New York or D.C. And those are cities that are, I mean, for example, just like pushing down any street in Manhattan on a summer afternoon, absolute yeah. paradise. There's, re- there's honestly nothing better. Like a fire fit in the right city. Oh, my God. Like that, that's, that's a great feeling. That's probably almost as good as skating your favorite spot. Just like just pushing around, with, even just solo, but ideally with friends and wearing a fire outfit. <laughs> the fit matters. It makes me think of being in Mexico City about a year ago, you know, a lot more European than anywhere you're going to be in the United States of America. And uh, yeah, just skating, whatever. Uh, would, <laughs> we happened, we hazarded upon a couple of skate parks and, and the buddy who I was with, he was like, what the fuck are we doing? Like, there's no reason to skate this. There's so much out there. And uh, I think it more, more so in hindsight, I now agree, even though I wanted to noodle on some weird Mexican quarter pipe. True. Although, you know what? The skate park is the ideal place to warm up and then go skate a curb or a DIY. I don't know. For me, a skate park is just like zaps my energy. Really? Yeah. I, I just like, like skate parks make me feel bad. Like emotionally, like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, I, I definitely, I definitely get it. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't know. Like, I kind of like. I, I've I've recently discovered that I like that feeling of going to skate a park and kind of warming up there, and then going skating a curb spot. It feels so good. I don't know what it is, but like a curb, uh, like especially now that uh, pro- probably thanks to age and Instagram, curb spots now. It feels like a good curb spot can make you feel almost as good as your favorite hometown spot or your favorite spot uh, when you are really going in on skating. Um, mostly because you don't need to make the same level of physical exertion. And I don't know, like maybe you get like a nice, you know, slappy crooks on a, on a curb and people will applaud for it, you know. And maybe, you know, your friends are hanging out and you got the portable speaker going and like you're, you're catching some of those vibes that you haven't had in many years. Yeah, good curb spot is something special. Who slash where would you want to see a favorite spots from next, Mike? I think it's low-hanging fruit, but the first one to come to mind is uh, Bobby Worst at Pulaski. Yeah, I mean, that's a great one. I feel almost like Pulaski is kind of like too well-known. Like we kind of like know it already. Does that make sense? Definitely, though... I don't know if I know the layout of it necessarily. What what I think I'd want to get out of that is just, and it's probably, you know, extra heavy inside baseball skateboarding. Oh, but, you mean Bobby Warris is the big homie showing you around and like people come like, hey, what's up, Bobby? What's good? What's good, Bobby? How are you living? That, that kind of thing. I, I like that, but I also want to know where, you know, okay, so he posted a, a clip to Instagram today of him doing a 360 flip up the three stair and then he circles around and switch 360 flips down. Like I bet there's a spot in the three stair where the cracks are just right. And he wants to pop up there. You know, there's Mm -hmm. that special spot that he wants to go up. There's that special spot he wants to go down. There's all of those intricacies. And I, I would love to hear him break down that stuff just because, you know, that's, that's what you want to hear from someone who's skated a, a spot for, you know, 15 plus years. Yeah, I, I think that's right, and I think that maybe I'm, I'm like down on Pulaski because I've been to Pulaski. Yeah, 
so like I, I'm less mystified by it. I'm just like, oh yeah, Pulaski. Like I, I know exactly how it's laid out and everything. Uh, so For I was sure. thinking like Hotel de Ville and JD Jalais. See, I feel like I got uh, that. That place feels straightforward to me. But why? What, what do you want to know about that spot? I, I mean, exactly what you were saying about Pulaski. Like I'm sure there's, you know, little like, oh, this is where you put your bag, or like. You know, you can like plug your phone in here or like across the street that is like a cafe where we get our baguettes or whatever, you know, just a little trivia. And then especially since it got redesigned, you know, it's like, you know, here's where this is, but it used to be like this way and we couldn't hit it or you had to hit it like a different way. Like, you know, that hip, there used to be a big bump at the bottom, but now there's not. Yep. Seems ripe for the picking. Patrick, do you have any on your list that you want to learn about? Mm. Was a universitat in Barcelona. I'm not sure who it would be who would be the tour guide, but I would love to know a little bit more about that spot. Got to skate it once, and it was awesome. That's the spot with the three really long black benches. Yep, my friend Alex did. Uh, what did he do? Was he a back tail? Like he gapped gapped a back tail on one of those joints. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would love to hear about it because like it's it's literally like it's right in city center. I mean, it's in a very very busy area. And we've probably seen enough about Makba and Sants, the train station. But I would love to hear about that. Like, I would want to, like, was that a local spot for anybody? Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot to that spot that we don't see. Because it's just, like, to me, it's just, there's those three benches. But, yeah, there's there's always context. And it'd be interesting to, to learn more about that. Yeah, like, like, where do you go to get a drink? Uh, you know, where do you go to get food? Like, where do you, you know, where do you post up when it's, you know, midday sun? Or is it strictly an evening spot? Like, like Mike said, you know, the kind of in, inside baseball statistics about a skate spot. It just feels weird, though, because there's so many spots from back in the day. Like, you had, like, 411 did, was it uh, Spot Check? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had that. But it wasn't the same. I think the quality of the storytelling in this Peaceful Quarter Snacks was much, much better. And it wasn't just like some uh, jazzmatazz in the background. Someone would be like, this is the spot. Check it out. It's got some manual pads. it got some benches. Be safe. And uh, yeah, let's get some tricks. Yeah. I forgot that that section ha- did have some talking. Barely. <laughs> yeah. Thinking of Mike York in the Pure 7 one. Just like, got some <laughs> two stairs. Smooth ground. Does a 360 flip. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, but with Pier, like, Pier 7 would be ill. Like, it would be, I'm sure there's a, a million stories from that. I mean, you could probably just do a Pier 7 from, excuse me, a people I've known just around folks who are at EMB and or Pier 7. Like, the mm-hmm. stories that those locals could have told or, or can tell would probably be amazing, assuming they can remember them. Yeah, I'd definitely be stoked on something like that. Which brings us to the end of our show where we talk about what we're stoked on. Patrick, what are you stoked on this week? All right, word. I am stoked on Spitfire Wheels. Um, I'm also stoked on the fact that this past weekend I got to see my mom, which was the first time I'd seen either of my parents in 16 months. Thank you, COVID. Uh, she's doing well. She retired at the beginning of the year. So we got to post up, hang out with my family, got to hang out with my in-laws. Wonderful. It was, it's some much, much, much needed family time. And the first time that we entertained here at the crib in pretty much like a year. Um, the Knicks are fourth in the Eastern Conference. I can't believe I am saying that. That streak was so fire, it had even the haters up, standing up and applauding. I mean, you love to see it. And I'm also stoked on um, Mount Pleasant Library over in Washington, D.C. Just released a t-shirt. 
to raise money and it says what's more punk than the public library i'm definitely going to order one mike what are you stoked on we have a lot of random overlap this week uh, i'm stoked on sunday getting my four-year-old daughter her first library card her mind was expanded at the concept of the library i've got a She's she's got a very generous grandma who loves buying half price books who always brought more books than we'd ever need to go to the library for but we got over there on a rainy Sunday as I said got her a library card she loves it she's ready to go back to the library so what is more punk than the public library I'm not sure but the 4 year old loves it and then I'm also stoked on uh not quite the New York Knicks right now but Anthony Edwards and the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, I was fortunate enough while recording this podcast to maybe split a little bit of attention and watch them beat the Golden State Warriors to um, create their longest winning streak of this strange basketball season. They've won four games in a row. We're getting to see the rookie, Ant Edwards, who is a character. Look into him if you don't know him. But um, along with other guys on the Timberwolves actually be the team they like were going to be on paper and then never were until now. A lot of injuries, some COVID. I don't know. I've, I've, I've liked the team for long enough where I have low expectations. So when they win four games in a row and they're, you know, maybe the third worst team in the league, I'm pretty stoked. Templeton, what are you stoked on? I am stoked on Kyle Beachy's new book. It's called The Most Fun Thing, and it's a collection of essays about skateboarding. Kyle is a friend of the show and a friend IRL and an amazing writer. I'm sure you've read uh, many things that he's written out there if you're listening to this podcast. So definitely put that on your uh, reading list. It comes out in August, and I'm sure sometime between now and then we'll have Kyle on the show to talk about his book. So definitely stoked on that. And then also, I just wanted to give a shout out to Justin, who's been making um, comments on the blog, which is something I don't see very often, and it just makes me feel nostalgic for the old days of the Mostly Skateboarding blog spot. So keep it up, Justin. I super appreciate it. Mm-hmm. That's it for our show this week. Be sure to check out MostlySkateboarding.net for links to the things that we talked about and other show notes. Until next time, you can keep up with us all week online. Mike, where can the people find you? I'm on Twitter and Instagram with the same handle, at mmunzenrider. Patrick, where are you? All right. You can find me on Twitter, at Colonel K Speaks. That's Colonel, like the military rank, not the popcorn colonel. And on Instagram and on Clubhouse, at Pikagongo. We really got to get a mostly skateboarding chat going down on Clubhouse before things really open back up and we're all out there wearing our fresh camo cargo shorts and skating together. Uh, Templeton, where can the people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mostly Skate and on Instagram at Mostly Skateboarding. See you guys next week. Be safe, y'all. Some velvet morning when I'm straight I'm gonna open up your gate And maybe tell you about Phaedra And how she gave me life
She made it 